I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiber Fueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Quitting is a muscle. If you start quitting, then it becomes easier to quit and then you lose trust in yourself. And that, that, that's not just in sports, that's in lots of different things. Like when you're trying to make a new habit or you're trying to do something different in your life, like set a goal that's really easy to achieve. That way you can, and, and have loftier goals as well, but, but you, you need to start burning in that pathway so that you can strengthen that muscle and build that trust in yourself. And that's why I don't quit races and that's why I don't quit. I mean, I pretty much don't quit anything because my part, that's part of my identity is I'm somebody that doesn't quit. I'm somebody that, um, is okay with being vulnerable in situations where I might come up short publicly and I don't like it when that happens, but knowing that I am still okay inside, if that happens is, has been really, um, kind of like a cleansing thing after being a perfectionist and always being so worried about what other people thought about me. I'm Rip Esselstyn, and welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. The mission at Plant Strong is to further the advancement of all things within the plant-based movement. We advocate for the scientifically proven benefits of plant-based living and envision a world that universally understands, promotes, and prescribes plants as a solution to empowering your health, enhancing your performance, restoring the environment, and becoming better guardians to the animals we share this planet with. We welcome you wherever you are on your Plan Strong journey, and I hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, Plan Strong gang. I hope you're having a plantastic day. My name is Rip Esselstyn, and I am the host of the Plan Strong podcast. I think it's fair to say that we all have our proverbial mountains that we have to climb. But today's guest has literally climbed some of the highest mountains on her bicycle. Plant-powered pro mountain biker Sonia Looney is my special guest today. And I am really amazed at how much the two of us have in common from our athletic backgrounds raising plant-strong children, 
motivating and coaching others as to all the benefits of the plant strong lifestyle, there is definitely quite a bit of overlap. Well, in addition to crushing it as a professional mountain biker, Sonia has also become well known as a mindset coach. And that's where we're going to really hone in and focus most of the conversation today. Helping you set your mind up for success no matter what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Now, of course, both Sonia and I are here to help you on your plant-based journey, but we're also here to remind you that this journey that you're on and the work that you're doing to improve your health actually is the reward. All the struggles, all the setbacks, everything that is being put up in front of you. I hope you're intrigued, and if you are, let's set the path forward to success with Sonia Looney. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Plant Strong Podcast. Today, I've got Sonia Looney, and Sonia and I go back, God, when did you ask me to be on your podcast? Do you remember? I think it's been close to four years ago. Probably four years ago, so maybe 2016 or 17. But what I what I love about you and the direction that you're going in your life is that you are winning at the game of life. And the reason why you're winning at the game of life is because you are you're overcoming fears, you're redefining success, you are trying new things. And these are all things that, as you say, this is where the magic happens, right? And so I think so many of us in life are, are reticent to change what we're doing. Life beats us down. And we don't always have the ability to kind of dust ourselves off and pick ourselves up. And so I can't wait to talk about what redefining success and overcoming fears looks like from your perspective. But before I dive into you, I want to just kind of let the audience know that you and I have a lot of things in common. Um, so we, we, we both have been former professional <clears throat> athletes. I'm assuming you're still not a professional athlete. I could be wrong. Actually, um, I'm still a professional athlete, believe it or not. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> um, we both, love mountain biking. I never did mountain biking full-time, but I did the Xterra triathlons and you obviously world champion mountain biker. We're both plant-based athletes and very, very much fiercely. So Um, we're both raising plant strong kids, plant strong children, and very proud of it. We're both podcast hosts and healthy eating advocates. I think it's fair to say we're both kind of living life out of our comfort zones as entrepreneurs and athletes. And it's, I think, one of the things that has made life so vibrant uh, for both of us. We both have taken, I think, very big risks and we're betting on ourselves. We're helping and coaching others kind of to do the same. Uh, I'm doing it by getting them to eat this way. And in looking at your website, I'm just, I'm I'm, I'm so enthralled with all the programs that you have going on with mindset mastery and moxie and grit uh your your moxie and grit 
uh, mindset classes. I want to take them. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we we obviously both were featured in the plant-based athlete that just came out about two months ago by Robert Cheek and Matt Frazier, who we've both had on our on our podcast. But but for, you know, let's let's take a step back here before we dive into some really great conversation. And I want to ask you just first, like, give me a little background on on Sonia and where you grew up and and what that was like. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I was kind of the kid that was the nerd. And I still am a nerd. I just that I own it. <laughs> but I was a kid that was, you know, in band and I was first chair in the band and I was friends with my teachers and I really wanted their approval. And I worked super hard in school because I really valued education and hard work from a young age. And that was taught to me by my parents to always do my best and to work hard. But that wasn't always easy. I always wanted to feel included by the other kids and I wanted to be so badly one of the popular kids. But I wasn't because I wasn't secure and confident in who I was. So I kept just trying to do what everybody else was doing and try to fit in. And it just never worked for me. And it wasn't until the end of high school when I found endurance sports and running was the first sport that I came across that I found confidence in myself. And then I started making choices, not for anybody else, but for myself. And that kept opening new doors one after the other and led me to where I am today. And so were you any good at running? Did you have a affinity for it? I wouldn't say I was good at it. I didn't really know how to train properly. Like I ran a marathon when I was 18 and 19, but I just really had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was, I guess I was decent at, at 10 K because the UNM cross country team asked me to walk on to their, their team, but I had just found mountain biking and I decided that I was going to be a mountain bike racer. And I just never went to the cross country team at UNM. <laughs> so you found mountain biking when you were how old? Uh, I was one month away from turning 20. So okay. 19. Right. And what was it about mountain biking that you liked? I like the freedom part of it. And it was something that I, I wasn't a cyclist growing up. And I think this is really important for people to hear is that there's a lot of doors that can open in your life. There's a lot of things that you just never even knew were available to you. And it's so important to be open to new opportunities and following your curiosity. Because if I had never tried mountain biking, my life would be drastically different. And it wasn't something anyone in my family did. And just some guys from my work invited me to go riding. Uh, I had been to a few spin classes at the gym because I kept injuring myself as a runner because I would overtrain. And that's how I found mountain biking. And it opened up this world to me that was just, it's just changed my life. Where did you go to college? Uh, I did my undergrad at UNM in New Mexico. And then I moved to, I really wanted to move to Colorado. Um, the year I became a professional racer and I decided that going to grad school at CU Boulder would be a really great option to go become a professional mountain biker. So I was in the um, PhD program for electrical engineering and it was kind of weird because there's people sleeping in the lab and they're fully committed, you know, to that program. And I felt kind of like a slacker because I was committed to doing well in school, but I also just had this dream of being a pro mountain biker. Oh my gosh. Um, and so you got your undergraduate degree. It was it engineering or mm-hmm. neuroscience. What told, was it? Told you I'm a nerd. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so then you, so you go to Boulder, you're, you're kind of getting your master's degree, uh, in engineering and you're also starting to mountain bike at a, 
at a higher level, do you then go get a normal job? And are you also still mountain biking? What did that look like? Yeah. So I had only been a professional racing at the elite level for a couple of years. I, it was something I was doing while I was in grad school. And I thought to myself, I don't like the, one of the reasons I went to grad school is so I could become a professional racer and have the flexibility to train, which sounds crazy, but I just didn't want to, to follow this like nine to five and not be able to chase my dream. And I, flexibility was so important to me and control of my time from the very beginning. So I actually ended up working for a startup uh, in Boulder and it was a solar engineering company, which was, this was such a great way for me to start connecting with some of my deeper values about the environment. And I got to design solar electric and solar wind, um, systems for like homes and commercial buildings around Boulder. And I got to choose my hours, which enabled me to to train and have my blog. This is like back in, you know, 2008 and just do different things and keep, keep exploring what my interests were. And, um, also just to have diversity of experience in my life. Mm. So you turned, so do, what year was it when you actually like turned pro and what did that, what did that, what does that mean exactly? What did that look like? Yeah, this is such a great question because this can vary across sports. So I became a, like a carded professional athlete, I think it was in 2006. And what that means is you have to race at the national level. There's, there's categories. It, it's called something different um, now, but it was called like beginner sport, you know, uh, expert and professional at that, at that time. And you have to get a certain amount of points and results at these national level events to upgrade. And the, the governing body of cycling will give you those, that upgrade. I think triathlon might be the same yeah. to become a carded professional, but being a carded professional doesn't mean that you just get paid to ride your bike, the sponsorship world and the money part of, of, of endurance sports. Cause that's the world I know is, is really challenging. And there's a lot of people who are racing at the top level, even that have to work a full-time job on the side to pay the bills. Yeah. So that first year that you were a pro, were you able to make any money? No, actually I wasn't very good. I would, I'd love to have one of these amazing stories where it's like, I became a pro and then I was winning immediately. But I think it's really important to say that that didn't happen. And it takes years of hard work to start chipping away at, at getting better at something. And that's, that's what gives it meaning. So for me, I was coming in like second to last place at my races at that time in my life, I was definitely a perfectionist and I really struggled with, you know, when things weren't going well. And up until that year of my life, everything was, I was always a high performer and everything just worked out for me. So that year, you know, I would actually cry in the middle of my bike races. I'd wish that I could just poke a hole in my tire because I was so ashamed of my results. And I was so focused on the outcome and what people would think about me and what that meant about me. And it wasn't until I started going to yoga and I had these great instructors in Boulder that it was, it was so much more. It was, it wasn't just about like movement. It was about figuring out who I am and being okay with who I am. And then that set me on a different trajectory, um, especially as I got into endurance sports when you have a lot of time to think about things. <laughs> it has been another doozy of a year for everyone. And one thing that should be easy is having delicious, ready-to-eat meals on hand when you don't feel like firing up the rice cooker or chopping up an onion. And lucky for you, we just launched four brand new chili and stews in Whole Food Market stores across the country. And if you don't live near a Whole Food store, don't sweat it. We'll be delivering these new Plant Strong Pantry powerhouses straight to your doorstep when you order from our website after November 1st. 
Visit PlantStrongFoods.com to see our Engine 2 Firehouse Chili, our Creamy White Bean Chili, Thai Carrot Chickpea Stew, and our Indian Lentil Stew, also known affectionately as Kitchery. I'm in fact having the classic Firehouse Chili for lunch today with a ton of arugula on top and a Pacific Rose Apple for dessert. Let me know what you think. Well, I hear you loud and clear there. It's amazing how you put so much of your heart and soul into, you know, training. And then on game day, just for whatever reason, you, you're having an off day, you don't feel well. Uh, and I've been on the bike too saying, you know what? I wish I would just get a flat <laughs> and then that way uh, all this will be over. Of course, I never had, uh, such luck. And actually once I did, once I did get a flat and I wasn't able to finish and then I regretted it because it was the only time in my career I never finished a race. Um, wow. and that, that to me is something that was always important to me to always finish. And I know that's one of your things is to kind of, um, to never really quit, right? Always finish. Quitting is a muscle. If you start quitting, then it becomes easier to quit and then you lose trust in yourself. And that, that, that's not just in sports, that's in lots of different things. Like when you're trying to make a new habit or you're trying to do something different in your life, like set a goal that's really easy to achieve. That way you can, and, and have loftier goals as well, but, but you, you need to start burning in that pathway so that you can strengthen that muscle and build that trust in yourself. And that's why I don't quit races and that's why I don't quit I mean, I pretty much don't quit anything because my part, that's part of my identity is I'm somebody that doesn't quit. I'm somebody that, um, is okay with being vulnerable in situations where I might come up short publicly and I don't like it when that happens, but knowing that I am still okay inside, if that happens is, has been really, um, kind of like a cleansing thing after being a perfectionist and always being so worried about what other people thought about me. Mm -hmm. So, so would you say that today you're no longer a perfectionist? I actually would say that. And I, I like that question because it made me think about it a little bit, but I think about the actions that I take and it doesn't mean that I do sloppy work, but you could work forever at something and, and never get to an outcome that you want. And something that, um, John Joseph said on a podcast, you know, John Joseph. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something he said, I think it came from Hinduism, but it was something like, you're only entitled to the work. You're not entitled to the outcome. The work is the, the most important part. So I came up with this mantra for myself and it's the work is the reward. So I'm always focused on that, doing the best work I can. And the best that you do one day might be different than your best another day. And as athletes, we certainly know that that's the case. And even when we're going through different seasons of our lives or, you know, coming out of this pandemic, like, life can be hard sometimes. And what you're doing today might not be the same as what you did a year ago or a week ago, but just showing up and committing to being your best is just so powerful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I love, I love the, the work is the reward. And it really is. It's it, at the end of the day, it's a really, it's kind of about the journey and the work and not so much the destination that gives us the, I think the greatest amount of, uh, fills us up with gratitude and um, self-worth as athletes right? That we're doing, you know, I did the triathlons for over a decade. It is all about what is your, what is your self-talk? What do you say to yourself day after day after day? So you can remain resilient and, and positive because as you said earlier, we got to show up every day, yeah. right? But so 
what are some of the things, what are some of the, the tools that you would tell one of your students when it comes to, to self-talk? Because I know so many of us, it's, if we have, I'm just going to make something up, 20,000 thoughts over the course of a day, I bet your average person of those 20,000 thoughts, I bet you 80% of them are negative. Yeah. Yeah. And this is such a huge category of research and one that I really love, but the first step of, you know, having better self-talk is being aware of your self-talk. A lot of times you're not even aware that you're saying these negative things to yourself. Um, and you can do that with journaling, with a meditation practice, um, even with just like, am I, you don't have to sit on your cushion and meditate, but just like try and be aware of the thoughts that are coming into your head and the context of those thoughts. And then maybe even have a script for yourself of a way to reframe what those things are. And I think that the hardest part that I've been seeing is that in the positive psychology movement, it's, it's about reframing. It's about telling yourself a story in a different way. And the way that the words that we use are so powerful because that's how we see the world. But there's also an acceptance piece of, you know, things happening and then not just trying to shrug them off, but also accepting that they're there and not pretending that the emotions are there. So I think there's a lot of nuance there, but something that people can start using immediately. And I think I, I mentioned this in the plant-based athlete book, but there is a great, um, psychologist and researcher, Martin Seligman, and he coined the term, um, explanatory style. And that is telling your, you know, looking at how you're telling yourself a story and then choosing to tell that story in in a different way. So the uh, really easy example that I frequently use is about the weather because everybody is affected by the weather that likes doing things outside. And I've seen this myself, you know, at races around the world, people melt down whenever the weather goes bad. And I'm happy when the weather goes bad because it doesn't mean that I like it, but it means that I know that I'm going to be able to still thrive in that situation. So you could look outside and be like, oh my gosh, it's raining. Like I'm going to get cold. This is going to suck. Like I didn't come for bad weather. It's I came to the Southern hemisphere for sun or, you know, I'm not very good when in these conditions. And you just start telling yourself all, all of these stories and you start listening to them and you start making all these excuses. And by the time you get to that start line, you're already, you've already lost. You've already set yourself up to just be miserable on the day. Or, you know, you could say, well, I don't really love it when it's like this, but Hey, I'm going to go out and have an adventure today. You know, today I'm going to get really fun pictures because it's super muddy. Um, I'm never going to forget this day. And the next time it's rainy or challenging, you know, I'm going to be better because of it. And it's a practice and it also matters what you do in training. So, you know, working on your mindset has to happen on a daily basis, not just on race day. So if it's bad weather outside, are you going to train? Are you going to skip your ride? So, you know, being able to reframe it in a way and then really kind of believe what you're telling yourself, like the credit, the credibility part is important too. Yeah, no, I really like that reframing. I had a, um, a good friend that used to say, and this is kind of a, it's a popular quote, but you know, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothes, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if you're wearing the right clothes every day can be a, can be a great day to get out there and get some training in. Was there, did you have a, an event or an epiphany that led you to realizing just how important mindset is? Yeah. I mean, those early races in my professional career where I would just be beating myself up constantly. And let me tell you as a health coach, I've I've my own clients and a lot of people beat themselves up. It's a really common thing. Um, learning how to not beat myself up as much. It's, it's impossible to stop completely is a lesson that I've learned. And endurance racing has really been a way that I've healed that negative pattern. And the, the race that really 
started taking that to the next level was this race I did in Nepal. And this was the one that I did a TEDx talk about, and this is the highest mountain bike race in the world. And I did it in 2012 and 2013, which seems like so long ago now, but I just had never done anything like that before. And no woman had ever finished. And I thought, I really want to have an adventure and I just want to see what happens if I go do this event. And it was incredibly difficult. It was so uncomfortable. I don't know if anybody's ever used like a squat toilet at, at 15,000 feet, but you know, that's, and your legs are tired, like that's tough. So it wasn't just on the bike. It's like when you finished your, your, the course for the day and it was a 10 day race, you don't get that rest because it's cold and it's uncomfortable and just being in that situation was such an eye opener for me because it helped me get out of myself. I started noticing, you know, the villages that we were staying in, in Nepal, like that was really incredible to see how people were living and that it wasn't just about bike racing and noticing the people around me and how they were, you know, faring or, or not faring well. And whenever challenges presenting, presenting themselves, like how, how am I going to rise to the occasion and how am I going to choose to move forward? And in my Ted talk, it's funny because almost nobody see me cry ever, like in real life, like not even my parents as a grown up. And I was crying in this race because I got to 18,000 18, feet with my bike and my brakes had failed and I was winning the race and it was day nine out of 10. And there was no way to get those fixed because there's no bike shops in the middle of the Himalaya. So I was you crying. Didn't have, you didn't have disc brakes. I had disc brakes, but they, they, they don't, they don't test product for, you know, riding at 18,000 feet because why would anybody do that? <laughs> sure. Sure. So I, I told, I promised myself that I was going to document my experience because this was such a unique experience. So I took a video of myself crying and just, I was just carrying on about how I'm screwed and you know, X, Y, Z. And then that became a really powerful thing for me to use later. And I put that in my Ted talk to show like, Hey, like it's hard whenever you're doing different things that you've never done before. And it's okay to feel this way, but you can also still come back and, and, um, like, in that race, I was able to borrow somebody's brakes that had dropped out and finished the race, but you can still come back the next year. And it's what you learn in that moment about yourself, regardless of what the finish was and how you choose to proceed. That's, that's what makes you who you are. And that's why I love these like really crazy stage races, multi-day races around the world and countries that maybe you wouldn't just go visit as tourists because it, it, it is raw and you, you just can't experience those things in your daily life. And it's so it's just such a strong feeling when you're out there and the, the highs are high and the lows are low. And then when you get back to your daily life, you realize, Hey, like I can deal with a lot of different things and maybe I can even help other people deal with a lot of different things that can feel really hard. So let's go back to 2012 for a second. Are you now, do you still have your engineering job or have you, have you left that and are you a full-time pro mountain biker? I still have my engineering job at this time. Yeah. yeah. And so did you tell your workers, Hey, you know what guys, I'm, uh, I'm going to go do this, this mountain biking race in Nepal. Uh, it's like 10 days. I'm going to go up to, uh, 17,769 feet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, would they just think you were crazy? Pretty much everybody thinks I'm crazy, but that's my last name's Looney. So I have a, <laughs> you know, I got to live up to it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lo Looney tunes. Right. <laughs> but so you went, you did it. You ended up finishing. I saw the Ted talk. It's spectacular. I highly recommend everybody go, go check it out. And then you decided you wanted to go back the next year. Yeah. I wanted to do it again. And 
it was amazing how much easier it was because when you're doing something for the first time, no matter who you are, no matter what it is, it's always hard. You're always uncomfortable because you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know what to expect. And it's a lot easier the second time around. And I only have one kid, but I'm guessing if you have two kids, it's a lot easier the second time around, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> if you, yeah. And then three, three is when it get, really gets easy. <laughs> um, no. And I thought, I thought it was, it was, it was really apropos the way and how this really translates into life where you're trying to get to the very, very top of this pass. And you're like, Oh, I think I'm there. And there were 14 false peaks, 14 where you're like, Oh, that's not it. Oh, that's not it. Got to keep going. Yeah. Like there's so many false summits in life and there really is no real summit, you know, and I know that might sound cliche, but as somebody that works hard towards lots of different goals, once you achieve a goal, they're just going to be more like it. And we all think that, well, if I could just be X, then I would be happy. And we keep putting our happiness onto the horizon when we achieve something. And really, like we talked about earlier, the work is the reward and loving what you do and who you're surrounding yourself with on a daily basis is the win. It's not the the peak that you get to because there's just going to be a ton more like it. And also you might get to the peak and feel empty. And that's how I felt when I became world champion. I thought, oh, like, well, now what am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to chase? And it was a really weird feeling. And I know that lots of other people have felt that way too. Oh yeah. What year was that, that you became a world champion and what event was it? It was in 2015 and it was in 24 hour mountain biking. So it's, you race your bike for 24 hours straight, um, on a course. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, I guess formula one, but it's on a mountain bike and you have a pit and you can stop in your pit. And the idea is that you stop as little as possible <laughs> and, uh, stay healthy. Cause a lot of, a lot, some people go blind in 24 hour racing. It's actually a really common thing and they get their vision back, but it's, it's kind of crazy. Holy Toledo. I mean, that's, I've done a 24 hour mountain bike race before, but it was with a relay, right? <laughs> and there were some people that did it solo, but I was with a relay and I was like, God, these solo people, I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know how they're doing it. Did you sleep at all? Or did you just keep going for 24? Well, I think I stopped for seven minutes total, like just to change batteries or get food. My, my husband was awesome. He was my support crew. So he had to stay up the whole time as well and make sure that I kept going. <laughs> wow. So do you have, do you have any, any ambitions to do more 24 hours or do you feel like you're kind of, you're, you're done with that? No, I, I don't actually enjoy 24 hour racing. If I'm being totally honest, I'm yeah. somebody that really values sleep. And I also really like adventure and seeing different things. So riding around in circles, isn't my favorite thing. Um, so that's why I primarily focus on stage races, which are multi-day races, like a mountain bike tour to France or like a single, you know, hundred mile race on one day. Yeah. Well, I love how you said that after doing that yak attack in <laughs> Nepal, you then went and you raced in uh, Haiti, which is in the Caribbean. That looks like such a beautiful venue. You did, you went to Mongolia <laughs> and you did a stage race in Mongolia, I'm, I'm assuming. And, yeah. and then you, and then I don't know if you did a race or you just went and visited the Sahara desert. Yeah, it was a race in the Sahara desert and Atlas mountains, um, yeah, there, there's been some, some crazy things that I've done whenever people bring them up, but it just, the more you do, the more you realize you can do. And curiosity is something that's really important to me and following that curiosity of like, well, I wonder what happens if I go here and try this. And 
I love going places where I'm not really sure what's going to happen or what it's going to be like. And that's sort of off the beaten path because like I mentioned, you just really get to know yourself in a way that you wouldn't on, you know, in a more comfortable situation. Yeah. So when did you decide and, and what was the impetus to retire from engineering from that job (laughs) And, uh, and basically strike out on your own. Cause that, that must've been, uh, that must've been a very, very hard decision. It was a scary decision for sure. Um, it kind of wasn't all at once. So back in, you know, I mentioned 2008, I had a blog and I would be writing about different products and adventures just cause I love sharing adventures with people. And this company I had written about their backpack, this company had reached out to me and invited me to be on their team. They, they owned a racing team. And at the time it was called Topi Gurgon. Actually, I think it's still called Topi Gurgon. Um, and then the company Ergon, they ended up inv- asking me to be their national sales and marketing manager, which is a complete pivot from engineering. Oh, but yeah. it, just, it just came so naturally to me and it gave me the opportunity to travel, to race my bike more. And I also created my own, you know, community events because I just really wanted to mentor and help people just, have more fun on the bike or even just try new things in their life. So that job was awesome because it enabled me to do things that I wouldn't have been able to do in engineering and also, you know, do more racing. And that team I was on, um, you know, I didn't really get much support. Like my rate, I still had to pay my own race entry fees. I didn't own the equipment that I was riding and I started getting offers from other brands. They wanted to work with me, but I couldn't work with them because it was a conflict with the team I was on, but the team I was on was tied up in my job. So if I quit my job or if I, if I quit that team, I'd have to quit my job. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was a big thing. So I had to come up with my own value proposition and my, my husband was really encouraging in this. And I think it's so important to have somebody, you know, it could be your spouse, it could be a friend, but just somebody that really believes in you and helps you move forward. But I just started writing all my own proposals to sponsors and it was weird. Cause it's like, how much money do you ask for? How do you even know what, you know, what to ask for or what to offer? And I just, I just started and I, you know, waded my way through and I was able to become a full-time professional, you know, managing myself as an athlete, working with brands that I wanted to work on or work with. And it sounds amazing, but it's, it's really tough because when you're negotiating your proposal, you're, you're basically saying like, Hey, this is me. And if the brand says no, then the, you kind of feel like the brand doesn't like you. Like you're the one that got rejected. So you yeah. have to be able to separate yourself a little bit from that. And there's been so much learning that's happened. And that was in, I think it was in 2013 or 2014 that I did that. And I've been doing that ever since. And the lessons that I've learned from that and also just growing all these other parts of my business have been just, I'm so glad that I did it. But again, it doesn't mean it's been easy. (laughs) No, no. And as you said, I think it's really important that you have somebody that's kind of got your back and, and, and believes in you. And it sounds like your husband also was giving you the support and maybe even the push that, that you, that you needed to do that. Um, yeah, he told me have the courage to believe that you're worth it. And I wrote that down on a huge, like in huge letters back, you know, in 2014, whatever year that was. And I still remind myself of that, like have the courage to believe that you're worth it. Because when you're asking for things, it takes courage to ask for things mm-hmm. and it takes courage to believe that you deserve something and without, you know, without being entitled, but it, it takes courage to believe that. And it's something that I am always working on. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You wrote a, a blog about the power of picking yourself. 
Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So first of all, this was inspired by a podcast that Matt Frazier did, and it was about, you know, becoming a New York times bestseller when, when he became a New York times bestseller and what that meant to him. So I encourage people checking out that episode of no meat athlete radio, but for myself, I thought, Hey, like that's what I've been doing year after year. And a lot of times we wait for somebody to pick us to say that we're good enough to, to do something. And if you look at all the things that I've done in my life, like nobody told me that I could do that. I just decided that I was going to do it because that was the right thing for me. So like the first time I picked myself was when I decided I was going to run a marathon and I did it. I wasn't looking for external validation. I just did it because this is what I wanted to do. And same with becoming a professional mountain biker, like no one in my family supported that. I, I heard, I got a lot of flack for wanting oh, yeah. to do that, for walking away from my engineering degree, like a lot of flack. Um, <laughs> and I just had to keep picking myself and same with like starting a podcast. I, I love when people start podcasts now because people, you have to pick yourself and believe that you're worth it. And if you don't do that, then you're not going to be living your own life. You're going to be living for somebody else's ideal. And it takes courage to do that. Cause again, you could come up short, but you'll never know what you could do in your life. So everybody listening, if there's like something in the back of your mind where you're like, I just really want to try that, but I have imposter syndrome. I don't know if I can just start and know that everybody that's starting something new doesn't know what they're doing and they figure it out as they go along and just expect that to be part of the journey instead of to be immediately good at something. So this, this whole mindset stuff is, uh, it is, it is such a deep, well, uh, kind of a deep hole that really, I think needs, we all need coaching and we need to delve into at a more deeper level. And I think most of us just don't take the time to really understand it. Um, and I think with some really simple, uh, teachings and, and principles, that uh, it could take us a long way in everything in life. And what I love is that, you know, I think you, like me, we've taken kind of a lot of learnings from our athletic careers and we've applied that into everything that we do. Um, you know, believe in yourself, positive self-talk, show up. You, sometimes you don't feel like it, but just show up and you'd be amazed what happens when you have the courage to just show up. I was talking to, um, on my podcast the other day, Darren Oline, And he said, kind of like what you said, but that's when the magic happens, when you just have the courage to show up. And for him, it was getting on an airplane, going into some crazy, you know, rainforest somewhere and finding the next superfood that's out there. But he had to show up and get on that airplane and just like, all right, let's, let's see if we can make this happen today. Um, yeah, you got to keep chipping away. Um, I've heard a couple of good analogies. One of them is an ice cube melting. How long does that ice cube have to be sitting at room temperature before it changes state? And like how many degrees do you have to, how long do you have to keep waiting for it to keep heating up in the room? Or like when you're chipping away literally at a rock, like all the, like it'd be a thousand blows and the rock hasn't broken and it could be on the 1000 50th blow that the rock finally goes. So if you stop showing up, it could be that next time you show up that you have a breakthrough, but if you don't do that, you're never going to give yourself a chance. So true. So I, because this is the plant strong podcast and we haven't talked about it yet. Tell me about your journey to plants. How did, how did that happen? I actually give all the credit to my husband. A lot of people, when they meet us, they think that Matt, his name is Matt. They think that I changed Matt's 
diet into plant-based, but he's the one that introduced me to it. And I met him at BC bike race in Vancouver in 2012, which was a big year of my life, obviously talking about some of the things from my past. And I met him and stage races, you end up eating dinner and being around people for a week straight. And I noticed that he kept eating like these huge plates of food that was just like beans and vegetables and just stuff that I would never think to eat at a race or just in general. And I asked him like, what are you doing? And he says, Oh, um, I, you know, I'm a vegan. I watched forks over knives. Um, you know, I learned that there's a lot of really powerful things with lifestyle diseases that you can do. And I just had never heard of that before. My experience was kind of like a negative experience, um, with, you know, a few vegan individuals, which was such a shame because there's a lot of beautiful, amazing people out there. Um, so yeah, I got really curious about it and I watched forks over knives in 2012 and I thought, wow, you know, I'm really afraid of getting cancer and like heart disease is something that is prominent in my family. And you know, my, I family members that are super fit looking, but they have high blood pressure. And I was, I had heard of all these like people dropping dead, having a heart attack at age 40, but they were fit. And all that just scared me because I felt like it was just gambling and you had no control over your long-term health. So once I realized, wow, like this, this is like really eye opening, And I was angry that I didn't hear about it before. So I decided to change my diet because of that. And it wasn't because I thought it would make me a better athlete. And that just came as a happy side effect. And I changed, I changed my diet gradually over time. My husband's more of a all or none. So he just like threw everything out and the next day was plant-based. Whereas for me, it took a couple of months. Um, kind of like you recommend in your books is like, start, you know, start small, start with breakfast and then start with, you know, phasing out dairy and just that way. And also that helped me with my athletic performance. Cause I, I was afraid what would happen if I changed my diet? Am I going to like get slower? Am I not going to get enough nutrients? Because there just wasn't a ton of information out there about it back then. And then something weird happened. I ended up winning way more races. And instead of trying to get that last spot on the podium, it just was like, I'd roll in and sure I'd have to fight for it, but I would start winning more races and I'd recover faster. And I felt better in my life. And then I had more mental clarity to make these big decisions. So it's just been the best thing that I've ever done for myself and being able to be an example for other people to show that you can do this in your life and that, you know, it'll do amazing things for you. And just to see everybody else's positive transformation and to hear all these different stories is just incredible. And what it does for the environment and for the animals. And it just makes sense. (laughs) Well, yay, Matt, for introducing it to you. And um, what, what is Matt? uh, Does Matt work? Yeah. So Matt is a financial planner and he's also the CEO of a, a business that he's built. It's a financial planning business, but he sort of reinvented this business model of what it means to be a financial planner. But Matt wow. also Matt also is a, a mountain biker. So he's traveled with me to a lot of these races. And in fact, Mongolia was his first um, international stage race, which that race didn't really go so well from an organizational standpoint for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but he, yeah, he was just, he just went and he did awesome. And it's, yeah, it's really great to be able to share, you know, mountain biking and travel and racing as just a part of our relationship. Oh, it's huge. Huge. Who is stronger on the bike? Uh, that would be me. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful way, way to go. And obviously Matt can handle it. That's, that goes to show you what a, what kind of a man he is. Yeah. Matt's super supportive and, um, 
yeah, I'm so lucky to have him as my, my husband and my partner in crime and to be parents with Matt. I just miss having adventures together. That's been the hardest part about becoming a parent and not having a ton of support is that we just don't get to do those adventures uh, as of lately. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you there. So when you're doing, when you're doing these stage races, how are you fueling yourself on, on the bike? Uh, the bike is pretty simple. Um, you know, everybody has, has to do what works for them, but I'm primarily fueled by carbohydrates on and off the bike, but I use like gels and sports drink mix and, and things like that just for fast digestion. Um, and then off the bike, it depends on where I am, but I have all these hacks for plant-based travel because some of these countries I go to, you know, they don't really have plant-based options. So you have to bring your own. So I travel with a small rice cooker that has a steam basket built in. So I can almost always find vegetables, beans, and grains. So I end up, if there's power, I just cook my own food at the race. A lot of races these days now are offering plant-based options, which makes things a lot easier, but yeah, there's been lots of places where I've brought that rice cooker and cooked my own food. Rice cooker. What that has a, um, a steam basket in it. What's the brand? Uh, I, I don't know. There's actually, if you just go to like target or wherever you'll just see they're, they're smaller. They're about this big. Yeah. Um, I even use that now. Like if I'm traveling somewhere, um, like we went to this backcountry lodge for this event recently and I didn't know if they were going to have good plant-based options or not. So I just packed my own food and brought the rice cooker. And in fact, that's how I cooked for my son there because I wasn't going to feed him, you know, some of the richer foods. So I was able to like make lentils and split peas and, you know, quinoa and things like that. Of course he decided he didn't want to eat that stuff after I went to all the trouble, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just a good little hack for, for travel. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know that, I know that John Mackey, the CEO of whole foods travels with his own little, um, rice cooker as well. Your, your, your son, how old is he? He is 16 months. Oh, wow. Wow. He's young. He's a little guy. <laughs> right. So is he, is he uh, plant-based? He is. is. He's been plant-based since he was in the womb. He's never had any animal products and yeah, he loves eating and it's really fun to get to share all the different foods that we eat. And he like, he's a baby with garlic breath, which is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> is he, um, are you breastfeeding him? I did until about a month ago when he weaned himself. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, well, wonderful. Was that just a wonderful experience? Yeah. I'm really glad that I got to do it because, you know, with the pandemic, I didn't have to travel for racing. So that made it a lot easier. And yeah, I mean, I think breastfeeding is a difficult topic because a lot of people, some people have difficulty, you know, producing the milk to breastfeed. Some people can't pump milk. So when they go back to work, they can't really continue to keep their supply up. Some people just don't want to, but I think, you know, if you want to breastfeed, it's a really great relationship with your child and it's really fun. And also just from a health perspective, there are so many benefits of breastfeeding your child. So I'm just really grateful that I got to do that for as long as I did. Yeah. What's your son's name? His name is Bradley and he's named after my dad. Bradley. Nice. What, speaking of, uh, of your dad, what do your parents think of your, your journey in life to where you are right now? Well, you know, I think they're proud of me, but it's probably really hard for them, you know, all along because everybody as a parent, you just want the best for your kids and you, what you know is what you think is the best. So 
I did things really differently than they would have hoped. Uh, fortunately, everything's worked out for me. So I think that they're proud and happy and they I'm safe and all those things. But yeah, every time I had one of these pivots, they would kind of say, I don't know if you should do that or this might be a bad idea. Or even when I changed my diet, that was super weird for them. But the cool thing is that I'm finally starting to bring them along with me. So now like my mom makes tofu in an air fryer, which in the past, there's no way she would have even have tried tofu. <laughs> so just seeing, you know, your family, not, and not everybody does that, but seeing people make small positive changes and same with Matt's family, like finally, after how many years people are just starting to make these changes because it's become more mainstream and acceptable to be plant-based instead of, you know, back almost a decade ago, where like these people thought we were weirdos. <laughs> yeah, no, it's truly, truly amazing how far uh, plant-based has come in the last 20, 30 years. Yeah, really? And, yeah. And your influence has been so amazing, like in my life and just in a, a tons of people's lives, just the impact that you've had out there. And I'm just so grateful for the work that you, that you're doing and for the work that your father's done. And just having examples like you is just so important and so empowering and inspiring. Well, thank you. We need, we need a lot of people that are out there inspiring people and, and teaching people how to do this because we've, I think you and I would both agree that the world's going to be a much better place when we can get as many people as possible being plants, being plant-based. <laughs> um, tell me about like, what does a typical day for you look like when it comes to eating? Are, are you an oatmeal girl in the morning? Um, what do you do? Yeah. So breakfast is typically either oatmeal or pancakes. And I have my own uh, cookbook that I, a digital cookbook I came out with a couple years ago. So the, my, um, both those recipes are in there, but the oatmeal is, um, I think this, this actually might've come from you. It's just like steel cut oats with hemp hearts and fruit and nuts and maple syrup and just stuff that I like and yeah, yeah. flat ground flax. And a lot of people love that oatmeal. And before I thought oatmeal was like the packet, you know, the Quaker oatmeal packet, which is so just basically a packet of sugar. Yeah. So I love the oatmeal. And then, um, my husband's kind of the pancake guy and Bradley now loves being involved in everything happening in the kitchen. So he wants to watch and we got him this, this thing where he can stand and watch everything happening. So yeah, oatmeal or pancakes and the pancakes are uh, made with, you know, whole grains, um, like sprouted whole wheat flour and nut, there's nuts and seeds and all kinds of good stuff in there. Yeah. What about lunch? So it, it kind of varies because right now my training is in the middle of the day. So typically what I'll have next is probably around 10 o'clock and I'll have, um, like two pieces of sprouted whole grain bread with almond butter and some fruit, and then I'll go do my training. And then when I come back, I'll eat like a bowl of something, you know, a whole, uh, like a whole grain, a bean or a legume or a tofu vegetables and a sauce I like, or maybe mm. some avocado, a burrito. Um, I, I actually like eating pasta. I have like really nice pasta dishes with, um, you know, good things in them. And have you, have you, have you, have you, um, wandered any into any of the like alternative pastas, like, you know, red lentil or black bean or brown yeah. rice? Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I usually go for a brown rice pasta. Um, and I do like the bean pastas as well. Those are really nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then dinner kind of more of the same. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, dinner, I really like to be focused on having beans and greens in my diet. And those are the two things that are really easy to let go if you don't pay attention to that. Yeah. So, 
yeah, we try and make something every week, like maybe lentil dal or like um, some sort of like chickpea, something or other, just trying to involve beans and, and greens as much as possible because that, yeah. So in dinner time, we try to include those especially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about, um, do you have any go-to desserts? Well, I like chocolate. So, uh, <laughs> um, easy, easy, you know, plant-based chocolate bars, dark chocolate, delicious. Um, I also have like Oshi glows has some really delicious desserts that don't have tons of like processed flowers in them. So there's this like flourless peanut butter chocolate chip cookie, um, and like brownies and things like that. So yeah, I, I, I like sweets for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. What about, do you have a favorite energy bar that you like take on the bike with you? Yeah, I actually like, uh, I think the brand is nature's bakery fig bars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. those are good. Yeah, yeah. I like, I like kind bars, but sometimes the nuts, like, you know, I need something a little bit more carbohydrate ish. <laughs> That's yeah. a word. The nuts yeah. don't digest fast enough for the ride. Yeah. Um, yeah, I used to, <laughs> I used to eat a fair amount of bars when I was, when I was doing the triathlons full time. Um, God, there were, there's so many out there right now. It's nutty. There are, literally <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. yeah. There's. <laughs> There's a brand called Off the Farm. I think that you can only get them online. They are insane. They are so good. Just to give you an example, like they have a cherry chocolate one. And each one of these bars has 13 cherries in it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They got a mango and something and they've got a blueberry and, but they're just so packed with like real like real food and real fruit. Yeah. It's, it's cool. My language off the farm, off the farm. Yeah. We'll have it. to, I'll have to put this in the, in the show notes for people. <laughs> so tell me what, it, what makes you kind of happy and content these days? It sounds like you've got, you know, uh, well, I'll start to answer the question for you, but it, it just sounds so idyllic from like, from where I'm sitting, like, you know, a, you say a 16 month old or 18 month old, uh, six, 16, a 16 yeah. month old, you know, you and your husband are, it sounds like in this great stage, you've, you've both got your own kind of businesses. I know it's hard, but as you like to say, right, the, the work is the reward. Um, but so, but anyway, what is it that you're most excited about right now? Honestly, this might sound really funny, but my parents coming to visit, <laughs> Because, you know, my parents still live in the States and with the pandemic, it's made it really difficult for them to come up because I live in Canada now and we recently moved to Squamish, British Columbia, and it's made it really tough to see them. So they've only seen our son once and, you know, there's quarantine and all this stuff. So I'm just really looking forward to them coming next month. Um, not only because I'm excited to see them, but I also am excited to have some adventures with Matt and some support and to spend a little bit more time, you know, working on and in my business because there is no such thing as balance. I I say that there's intentional imbalance. So it's like choosing what you want to be spending your time on for certain periods of time and really doing it well. So I'd say what makes me happy is having that variety, being able to get out on my bike and have, you know, ride with cool people and have Squamish is the, the best place to mountain bike in the world. And I will just be, I'll just be blunt and say it because that's why we moved here there's so much challenge on the technical terrain and it's so beautiful. So just being part of that community. And then it's such a gift to be able to do what I'm passionate 
about for my work, like getting to, co- you know, be a health coach and do my podcast and get to talk to people like you. And yeah, like life is good. And I'm really grateful for what I have. Yeah. So would you say right now that you've successfully redefined what it means to be successful and you're like, you're right in the bullseye? I'd say that I'm right in the bullseye, but I still like have imposter syndrome just like everybody else. And I still always wish for more. Um, So there's definitely a balance of, um, or just a pendulum of being okay and happy accepting where you are, but still wanting to work for more and not letting that work for more take away from where you are today or from where your happiness is today. Hmm. You have so many gems, Sonia. It's really, it's really, it's really, I, I have to listen to this several times and write down all your great quotes here. Oh my gosh. Uh, um, you've got, um, you've got another quote that I love and it's the most powerful voice is the one inside your own head. And, you know, you, is that something that you just kind of came up with one day or? (laughs) Yeah, it was when I was, um, you know, doing the mindset Academy. So I have, you mentioned my course is the Moxie mindset Academy and I put it out last year and it was hard to put that out because I had a baby and I could only speak in a chip and away. I could only work on it in really small increments over a period of time. And I just wanted to put all the things that, that I love talking about to help you, you know, live a happier, more resilient life. So in, in that course. And so that sort of came out of that course and we're with ourselves our entire life. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can interpret the word self, but it's important to be your own best friend and the things that you tell yourself about life and about yourself and about what's happening around you so much impact how you view the world, how you view yourself and most importantly, what you do. So it just, that's why I really am passionate about mindset and self-awareness because it really impacts your life experience. Mm -hmm. Do you think that we, most of us take ourselves too seriously? Yeah, I do. Um, being able to laugh at yourself and I I think you have to be comfortable with yourself, uh, to not take yourself as seriously and to be able to, you know, be a dork sometimes and laugh at yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I agree. Um, well, another quote, I'm going to throw it out there. When the going gets tough, it's your mind that gets you to the finish line. And, uh, and that really, really applies in life. One of my favorite quotes, it's a quote by Winston Churchill long time ago, obviously. Um, and it's five nevers. It's never, 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 never give up. And, uh, I I am constantly amazed in my life, especially at seeing people who I think by our definition, who become success successful in whatever it is you just got to be willing to like pierce persevere through the grind and it is a grind and you got to figure out a way to make the grind fun and enjoyable (laughs) absolutely it is i think um the word passion it's like suffering like it's i can't remember the exact definition um some the book the passion paradox by brad stolberg and steve magnus goes into 
all this about following different types of passion, but yeah, passion is suffering. It's the same. It's, it's enduring suffering and just who's going to endure the suffering the most and have the best, you know, perspective of that, because it's not, it's not easy. Like some days are amazing, but it is not easy to, to do something day in and day out. And some days you want to quit and some days you do need a break. Like if you find like burnout is something that is, is rampant and hustle culture is rampant and you do need to work hard. But if you find that there's something that you're passionate about, that suddenly you just feel apathetic about it and you don't care anymore. And you're like, what, what is this? This isn't me. That probably means that you need to take a break. And I've, I've, (laughs) I've wrestled with burnout. And now that I know to look for that, that's how I know to take a break, but it's uncomfortable to rest. It takes courage to rest and to take the time away when you could be working. Um, but you need that empty space to recharge and to come back better. Couldn't agree with you more. That is so important. And I'll just, I'll just give our listeners an example, what I do, because I pretty much swim year round and it's so easy to get burned out on swimming. Um, and you know, I've been doing this master swim program now for probably close to 25 years. And so what we do to mix it up is, you know, I'll, I'll throw on fins. I'll throw on a pull buoy. You know, you do the kick sets with a kickboard. We go to the lake now try twice a week just to like give your brain a break and do open water swims. You know, it's the same thing with mountain biking. I mean, you've, you probably know those trails in your area now, like the back of your hand, but it sounds like they don't get old, but you do things to mix it up and make it exciting and give your mind a, a bit of a break. And that can yeah. apply to everything in life. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about tech, like, quote, technical sports, like swimming is incredibly technical. <laughs> you don't want to see me swim, but there's always something to work on, you know, like you could work on being faster, being more fluid, but you could work on like, I, I don't know the technical terms for swimming, but like the shape of your hand or always improving your stroke or with cycling, like road or, or dirt, like cornering. It's, it's, you're always going to be able to work on cornering or braking or body position or, you know, speed. So there's just always something to work on. But again, making sure that you take a break when you need it is, is something that's really important too. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your podcast. When did you start that? And, uh, and, and what's it about? My podcast is called the Sonia Looney show. And I started it about four and a half years ago. And it's about mindset, plant-based nutrition and inspiring stories. And it, the, the whole point of it is to help people be better every day by learning from others. Just, you know, podcasting has been such a gift because it used to be like, oh, people would say, oh, your blog is, you know, really inspiring. Or then it was like your Facebook, your Instagram. And now these long form relationships you get to form with people through podcasting because people are listening for, you know, an hour. That's a lot. That's a lot of attention and getting to deliver it to them is just amazing. And then also getting to talk to all these guests, like I met you because you agreed to come on my podcast and just the amount of learning, like learning is something that I'm really passionate about. And like, I have to be on top of my game when I'm doing an interview. So I read way more books. I spend a lot more time like learning about other people. So even, you know, that's why I think everybody should at least start a podcast because the personal (laughs) growth, I mean, it's hard, right? It's again, the chipping away, the consistency, all those things, but you just learn so much and you meet so many great people. Yeah. Well, Sonia, I really want to thank you for being on the Plant Strong podcast. I want to thank you for what you're doing and how you've redefined 
your life and what success means and for being courageous enough to really um, create a life that is, it sounds super exciting every single day. As I, as I started the podcast, in my opinion, you are winning at the game of life and keep it up. Thanks, Rip. And thanks for having me on. I, I'm, a, I'm a longtime listener of the show. So it's such an honor to be on the show and to get to spend some time with you. Yeah. Hooray. All right. Hey, peace. Peace. Engine two. Engine two. Give me a fist. Keep it plant strong. All right. Yeah. Man. There were so many wonderful nuggets of wisdom in there that relate to sport, work, and life. Thank you, Sonia, for sharing your stories and teaching us the power of picking yourself up. What a valuable lesson. For more information on Sonia's courses and PlantStrong resources, simply visit the episode page at plantstrongpodcast.com. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.